Hello, hello, hello. My name is Tyler and I am a makeup artist by day, podcast enthusiast by night. This is Cup of Taboo. Over here I discuss true crime, weird beliefs, cults, urban legends and so much more. I started doing this because, you know, I didn't really have anyone to talk to about the weird things that, you know, went on in my mind and stuff that I was interested in. No, I'm not lonely. I just associate with very normal people. So I decided to start talking to a microphone instead, you know, because what else does one do? So last week I finished up on BTK, who will forever haunt my dreams. So I thought I would do more of a light-hearted episode, you know, in the loosest sense of the word. <laughs> I will be chatting about 10 unfortunate and strange deaths throughout history today. That being said, I hope that you are ready for your weekly dose of strange, weird and bizarre served in your cup of taboo. Well, this one might be a shot of taboo. It might not be as long as the other episodes. And also, I painted my nails, like using olive green and army green and I thought it was going to look cute. No, I just, I look like a swamp witch with moss growing out of my fingers, but I'm kind of into it. I'm here for it. I will live my swamp witch dreams. Anyway, that being said, <laughs> completely sidetracked already and we're not even a minute into it. I just wanted to say that the following podcast may contain content that is distressing to some listeners, so listener discretion is advised. This list is in no particular order, but... I also, again, I just find these things, I jot them down and read it as it is, just because that's how I work. I don't have order. There's no order here. Coming in at number one, we have got Gary Hoy, who died of accidental self-defenestration. I'm starting this one with this one, because I actually heard about it a while back. Uh, I think I watched about it on a... TV show, I don't know if it was A Thousand Ways to Die or the Darwin Awards, I can't remember, but it doesn't matter. So Gary Hoy died from defenestration, which is the other reason that I started with this one, because that is one of my favorite words from when I first read about it. Well, so I used to like have the, the dictionary app on my phone and I would get a word of the day every day. And one day, probably about four years ago, defenestration was the word and I was like what is that and then I learned about it and I was like this is so cool and I've tried to use it as many times as I can it means to be thrown out of a window defenestrate and in Afrikaans a window is a fenster so I always remembered it as defensterate out of the window <laughs> anyway Gary Hoy was a successful businessman a lawyer to be more precise, he worked on the 24th floor of the Toronto Dominion Bank Tower Building for Holden Day Wilson, which was a law firm. This 38-year-old lawyer had a little party trick that he liked doing, where he would run full speed at the window wall of the office, jump up, and pretty much body slam it with his full weight. He knew that the windows were built to withstand certain shocks and forces and all that, so... He tried it, nothing happened, and he kept doing it because it freaked everyone out. 
So they would often have students coming around to the law firm and they would come for their talks and then he would do the whole throw Gary at a window trick to add some shock value to their day while giving them the tour. He would run towards the window and jump. Then everyone would gasp and he would just bounce back and land on his feet, which sounds terrifying because we all know that glass is not made to be jumped at. We've all seen movies where people could just fly through the glass. <laughs> to be fair, that is movie glass, besides the point. Yeah, it breaks. And when a full-ass man is running full speed at a glass window on the 24th floor of a building, you're gonna freak out. At least I would. I think I would need to be, like, institutionalized after one of those. So, on the 9th of July, 1993... He was doing a tour for the students and he did his usual party trick. Everyone was shocked and freaked out, so he thought it would be fun to do it again. But this time, unfortunately, he went through the window and fell 24 floors to his death. He died instantly. What happened was that the glass didn't shatter. No, that's what we would all expect it to do, right? What happened was it popped out of the frame, most probably loosening itself every time that he did his little trick. His death is ruled as a freak accident. It's a shame. It's unfortunate. But also fully preventable. Hashtag just saying. I, I do feel bad, but you know, we read about these things and we learn that we should not be jumping at windows. Okay? At number nine. No, this is, that was number ten, not number one. <laughs> Sorry. At number nine, I've got Jack Daniels. Or should I say Jasper Newton Daniels, who died of gangrene-related complications. So, Mr. Jasper Newton, Jack Daniels, was born in about 1850. There isn't really like an actual birth date for him that I could find, which is interesting, but around there, you know, plus minus. He was the youngest of ten children. Shem, his poor mother. His parents died when he was quite young, so he was taken in by the local preacher and moonshine maker. <laughs> what a combination. <laughs> Hi, I preach on Sundays and my week job is making moonshine for the community. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it is here that Jack learned all about distilling. And in 1875, he used his inheritance from his father to found his own distilling business in Tennessee. He distilled his whiskey in a special way and ended up winning many awards for it. He had the, you know, it's now famous, the square bottle. Everything was thought out. For some lesser known facts about good old Jack was <laughs> that he was super short. Number one, he was only five foot four, which is shorter than me, which is insane. Like, I mean, I just sort of, Always imagined him to be this really tall dude. Also, the OG distillery is based in a dry country, meaning that in Tennessee, alcohol may not be sold for consumption in that county. What? So this was due to prohibition back in the Dizay, and Tennessee just sort of was like, well, we're just going to keep it this way. So they can produce and send their whiskey all over, but there is not a bar in the whole county. Right? It's a bit odd. I mean, you would think for one of the most famous alcohol brands in the world, it would... It, but, it, you know, they stick to their rules, which is very interesting. 
So now to Mr. Daniel's unfortunate demise. It is said that in the early 1900s, Jack went to work early one day and he needed to open his safe, which was one of those old school floor safes that fla- safes that weighed like a million tons. So normally his nephew would open the safe for him every morning, but as I said, he got in early that day and needed to get into the safe. He got so frustrated with the safe that he kicked it and broke his toe. This broken toe later became infected and eventually he had to have his leg amputated. However, the infection had spread through his blood and he died in 1911. There is a long-standing joke in Tennessee that getting up early will get you dead. (laughs) They do also say that he probably would have done better if he had actually just dipped his toe into his own whiskey after he had injured it. You know, alcohol and stuff. I suppose that's what happens when you're constantly surrounded by booze. You probably, you know, whiskey makes people mad. They're angry. Damn safe. I just kicked whatever I could. Sorry, whatever that was. At number eight, I have one that is going to probably be too soon for all of us. We have Steve Irwin, who died by Stingray. I know it's still too soon. It will always be too soon because Steve was my hero, quite frankly. But it was bizarre and it was incredibly unfortunate. So it's on the list. Steve Irwin, affectionately known as the Crocodile Hunter, was, I don't know, in my opinion, amazing. I loved him. I watched his show every time that it came on TV. I think my parents probably, they were like, oh, we can't do this again. I mean, I'm surprised I didn't start talking with an Australian accent. Oh, crikey, mate. He was obsessed with wild animals, and I don't think he had an ounce of fear in him, if we're being honest. I mean, he would do things that most people are way too scared of, like wrestling crocodiles, holding snakes, he would get bitten by things all the time. But he just carried on with a big smile on his face. He wanted to bring awareness to the world on wild animals. So in 1991, he started managing the Biwa reptile in Fauna Park. No. <laughs> in 1991, he started managing the Biwa reptile in Fauna Park, which his parents had run since 1970. And eventually he changed the name to the Australia Zoo. He loved the big scary animals and he had this larger than life personality which made him perfect for his job. What he wanted to do was educate people on the animals so that they could be better conserved. And he said that if people didn't know about these things, the animals would start becoming extinct, basically. So everyone watched him handle these huge crocodiles, venomous snakes, in pure anticipation because we were all like, every time it's like, okay, yeah, this, this is it. He's going to get eaten by a crocodile, or he's going to get swallowed by an anaconda, or something, you know? One of those things that you would think would happen to someone that constantly surrounded themselves with them. But no, that was not what happened. He was married with two children, and in 2006, he set off to film a documentary in Queensland's Bat Reef, called The Ocean's Deadliest, where they were going to showcase some of the most Dangerous animals in the ocean, as the as the title suggests. Oh, obviously. Anyway, <laughs> on the 6th of September 2006, the team was caught in a storm. So they, you know, they couldn't do their planned shoot for the day. Steve was, like, apparently one of the people on board said he was like a caged lion. 
he just couldn't sit still. He was like, no, we gotta do something, we gotta do something. So, he, uh, was like, hey, do, do you wanna, do you wanna go on the inflatable boat and just, like, get some footage to his mate, Justin Lyons, who was one of his best friends and his cameraman. So, they went along and uh, they came across a massive stingray and they decided they wanted to film it. Now, apparently, stingrays are generally quite timid and they will just, like, swim away from you if you go near them. So, normally, and I mean, Steve had encountered many of them before. If you approached one, it was like, nah, I'm out of here, flap its little wings and yeet itself off. But, um, not this time. Sure. So the plan was that they were going to have the stingray between Steve and Justin, and Steve was going to approach the camera, and the stingray was supposed to just sort of move out of the way. That was what was supposed to happen. But for some unknown reason, the stingray got super spooked. It got, like, it like reared itself up and started stabbing at Steve with its tail. Apparently it was stabbing like a hundred times per second, according to Justin. And like, they had this agreement that no matter what, he had to carry on filming. That was the plan in every single episode, no matter how much Steve's arm was stuck inside a crocodile's mouth or whatever, the thing was that they were going to carry on filming. So he carried on filming. <laughs> Show business. <laughs> wow. Then he sort of realized that uh, there was a lot of blood and he was like, um... You know what? This this doesn't this doesn't look right. So he sort of the at this point approached Steve and the barb had punctured through Steve's chest and had hit his heart. So they quickly pulled him back onto the inflatable boat and they tried performing CPR. Steve's last words were I'm dying. He was 44 years old. Uh, this one really still breaks my heart. It was just so unnecessary for this to happen. And he was such an inspiration and such a warrior for the creatures. But, you know, at least he died doing something that he loved dearly. They did speculate, you know, just to expel any fear of uh, sea, ur not urchins, what are they called? Stingrays. They think that possibly the light could have hit Steve in a way that made the Stingray think that he was possibly a tiger shark, which were in that area, which is why it probably attacked him. Next up, we have got Tracy Garcia, who died of a dash hunt attack. Tracy Garcia was a 52-year-old woman in Oklahoma who died after being attacked by a pack of dash hunts. Vorthoinkies. Sausage dogs. You know, the ones with the stupid little legs and the long bodies? <laughs> they always say that it is the small dogs that are the most aggressive, and I can fully agree to that. I am way more scared of smaller breeds than bigger ones. Chihuahuas. Spawns of the devil they are. I was attacked by a Dachshund once. He was built like the rock. Promise you this thing had muscles where dogs don't normally have muscles. And he was always so angry. His name was Nemo. Anyway, at the time, he was super not keen on people leaving the house for some reason. So I forgot that and I just started walking out the house and he got my foot. And he was super strong, man. For that tiny little thing, I was like, whoa. Anyway, back to Tracy Garcia. 
She was attacked by a pack of seven dogs that belonged to her neighbor. They were said to have been mixed breed, small dogs, predominantly sausage dog. This just goes to show that in a pack, dogs can do some serious harm, no matter the size. Please don't get me wrong, I am obsessed with all dogs, except chihuahuas, and I love them all dearly, except chihuahuas. Every single one of them, except chihuahuas. But I do respect the fact that they are still strong animals that can kill a person, even if they are small. This was ruled an accident and no charges were filed against the neighbor. I just want to know, like, how did this happen? Because if you got seven of these little dogs surrounding you, just just climb up on a table because they're small. <laughs> you know, like, it's, their legs are, are like the length of my fingers normally. I suppose they were mixed breeds, but still, even the, like, just, just scop one in the head, you know, yeet it. I don't know. Then again, I wasn't there. I can't say. It is unfortunate. And, yeah, shame. Number six, we have got King Adolf Frederick of Sweden, who died eating himself to death. That's not eating himself. He ate himself to death. So he didn't actually eat himself. Okay, just clearing that one up because I was a bit confused when I read it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, but <laughs> basically, this is the way that I would want to go. Hashtag food is life. Well, in this case, food was death. <laughs> king Adolf Frederick was the king of Sweden from 1751 to 1777. He was said to have been a great ruler and he was fondly remembered. His reign saw the Swedish parliament pass the world's first legislation supporting freedom of the press and freedom of information. This was in 1766. His reign is, however, <laughs> best remembered for how it ended rather than how it was. As I said, he ate himself to death. On Shrove Tuesday, on the 12th of February, 1771, the king observed the holiday by eating lots of lovely food in preparation for the month of Lent. Quick lesson for those of you who don't know what any of this is. Shrove Tuesday is the day before Ash Wednesday in the Christian religion. Lent is a period of time where some Christian people will give up certain indulgences and refrain from eating certain types of food. This has now evolved to giving up something for a month that you would normally indulge too much in. So for example, social media, wine, chocolate, shaving, I don't know. Traditionally, some people would use Shrove Tuesday to absolutely gorge on the things that they were going to be giving up for Lent. And the king was one of those people. He overcompensated slightly, to say the least. He had a massive banquet of food that he indulged in. This included lobster, caviar, kippers, sauerkraut, boiled beets, <laughs> boiled meats, and turnips. He then washed down the main course with some champagne, and then he moved on to the best part, dessert. He decided he wanted semlas for dessert, which are little buns made of white flour that I believe sometimes have custard in the middle. I think you can have them with anything in the middle. I don't know. I, I am not royalty. I have never eaten one. They were traditionally eaten by the king and the aristocracy, aristocracy, 
than fancy people on Shrove Tuesdays. These happened to be the king's favorite treats, so he decided that he would eat fourteen of them. To put that in perspective, most people only ate four or five between New Year's and Lent. That's a few months of time between buns. Oh no, no, this guy wanted fourteen in one sitting. I mean, I get it. I give me a freaking donut and I'm there like Fred Bear. Also eat fourteen of them, no problem. Anyway, that same day, the king died of digestive problems as a result of his huge meal. I mean, at least he he died doing what he loved too. I think pretty much. Shame it ended up causing a bit of political strain for Sweden after that, but they have come out stronger, I guess, in the end. At number five, we have. I'm not going to be able to say most of these words right. I can tell you that much, but we've got Chrysippus, who died from laughing. Chrysippus was a Greek Stoic philosopher who was born around 279 BC. He moved to Athens and he became the head of the Stoic school, and he became famous for his intellect and love of learning. He supposedly had over 700 written works. However, none survived. I don't know how works work, man. Um, I am not an intellect, apparently. Anyway. There are two stories about this man's death, so I will say both of them, just to be fair. The first story goes that Chrysippus was a bicky drunk, a little bit drunk, from drinking too much undiluted wine at an Olympiad, and he died of alcohol poisoning, which sounds very plausible. And the next story, though, is the one that is mentioned way more often. It is the one that is more popular, I guess. I suppose it's because it's weirder. But there's no way of proving either one. But the second story goes that he had been drinking, and he saw in different sources it says he saw a donkey trying to eat his figs, or he had also fed the donkey alcohol, and the donkey was trying to eat the figs. So either way, he then made a joke to himself and laughed so much that he ended up dying from laughter. He laughed himself to death. So laughing. To death is something that has happened in other cases too. It is said that the Greek philosopher named Zeuxis, Zeuxis, laughed himself to death after painting the goddess Aphrodite as an old woman. According to medical sources, benign laughter can cause several pathologies that induce death. Laughter can trigger a necrosis, tissue death, in a region of the brainstem, more precisely the pons and the medulla, which can lead to death. Furthermore, atonia, which is when a muscle loses loses its strength, and loss of consciousness, also called gelastic syncope or laughter-induced syncope, which can create trauma in the cerebellum and ultimately cause death. They say that laughter is the cure to all, huh? Maybe not. Maybe we should all just not laugh anymore. We'll just ponder stoically. I don't know if that's a word. Oh. <laughs> English is hard. Okay, next up we have got Isadora Duncan, who died of a snapped neck. And you're like, that's not so weird. Listen up, folks. 
Isadora Duncan was born in Isadora, Isadora, I say, I like Isadora. She was born in 1877 in San Francisco and she moved to Europe to become a dancer in her early 20s. She was not a classical ballerina. Oh no, no, she was like free-flowy, spirited, like they called her a bohemian. And what she would do is she would dance with flowy fabrics and scarves and just like be really free and she would be barefoot and people loved watching her apparently. She also lived a very bohemian lifestyle and she was all about free love and feminism. And she was also a communist, which got her American citizenship revoked in the early 20s. She did have a tragic life, especially when it came to cars, or automobiles as they called them back then. Her two children died when the car that they were in smashed over a bridge and landed in a river in Paris. They drowned. She was also seriously injured in car accidents in 1913 and 1924. Her death also came by automobile. It happened when she was the passenger in a new convertible car. She always wore these really long scarves that were super flowy and that day she was wearing this beautiful, very long flowy red scarf around her head and neck and you know scarfy in the wind she tilted her head back to like enjoy the sea air and her scarf blew back got wrapped around the back wheel axle which snapped her neck and pulled her out of the car killing her instantly this was on the 14th of september 1927 which happens to be the date that i am recording this 14th of september but this is 2021, so this is the anniversary of Isadora Duncan's death. I suppose one could insert a snappy joke here. Wow. Humphrey de Bohan is in at number three. He was speared through the anus. Humphrey de Bohan was a member of a very powerful Anglo-Norman family in England in the 1300s. He was involved in a lot of fighting and war stuff and what not. I don't understand war, I just know it's a lot of fighting and death and I am not a fan. Anyway, he often spoke out against King Edward II's excessive lifestyle and he would lead attacks on the king. While leading the troops at the Battle of Boroughbridge, he met his untimely end. Here is a quote. Humphrey de Bohun led the fight on the bridge, but he and his men were caught in the arrow fire. Then one of de Harclay's pikemen, concealed beneath the bridge, thrust upward between the planks and skewered the Earl of Hereford through the anus, twisting the head of the iron pike into his intestines. His dying screams turned the advance into a panic. So this was not an unusual way to go in these times. Strangely enough, because King Edward II, the very one that Humphrey was opposing, died in a very similar matter. King Edward ruled from 1307 to 1327, and he upset a lot of people. What upset, what upset most people was that he had lots of uh, special male friends, if you know what I mean. He would buy them expensive gifts and do nice things for them. And he was imprisoned after he abdicated, and this is what was said about his death. On the night of 
Eleven October, while lying in a bed, the king was suddenly seized, and while a great mattress weighed him down and suffocated him, a plumber's iron, heated intensely hot, was introduced through a tube into his secret private parts, so that it burned the inner portions beyond the intestines. That sounds horrendous. I am so sorry, but I that that is first of all a one-way valve. Second of all, a burning hot poker up the butthole. Quite frankly, sounds like the worst way to go. There, there, I, it, I, it, it leaves me speechless, as you can hear. I just imagine it. It's a, a real pain in the ass. <laughs> oh gosh, stop it. So shame. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Both of them just didn't didn't have a good time, and I, I just hope it ended quickly for them. At number two, we have got oh no, this is one where I can guarantee you, I will be butchering all these names. This is a person from Persia, and I don't know why, but they their names are very hard. I don't know why they couldn't just call them Bob. But anyway, this guy's name was. Mithridates, 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 who died by scaphism, scaphism. Anyway, Mithridates was a soldier who accidentally killed Cyrus the Younger, son of Darius the Second of Persia. I have no idea who any of these people are. Also, I would love to know how one accidentally kills a noble son. Oh, okay, okay, hold on. I just did a Google deep dive. So back in the day, Cyrus was trying to gain the throne from his older brother, and he waged a battle and nearly won. So while he was approaching the enemy lines and you're not going through them, like he was like, "I am your new leader," and people were like throwing themselves at his feet, well, at the horse's feet. Then suddenly, a young Mithridates ran up and stuck a dart into Cyrus the Younger's temple, not knowing who he was. Therefore, killing him. So the older brother of Cyrus the Younger, his name is oh my gosh, Artaxerxes, was very happy with Mithridates because you know he protected his position as king. However, he wanted people to think it was he who slayed his younger brother. So that's where we left off. Now let me explain how poor Mithridates was brutally killed. He was killed by a manner known as scaphism, which is a certain kind of torture. Here is a quote from Plutarch in the life of Artaxerxes. The king decreed that Mithridates should be put to death in boats, which execution is after the following manner: taking two boats framed exactly to fit and answer each other. They lay down in one of them the malefactor that suffers upon his back, then covering it with the other, and so setting them together that the head, hands, and feet of him are left outside, and the rest of his body lies shut up within. They offer him food, and if he refuses to eat it, they force him to do it by pricking his eyes. Then, after he has eaten, they drench him with a mixture of milk and honey. Pouring it not only into his mouth but all over his face, they then keep his face continually turned towards the sun, and it becomes completely covered up and hidden by the multitude of flies that settle on it. 
and as within the boats, he does what those that eat and drink must needs do. Creeping things and vermin—that's pooping. Creeping things and vermin spring out of the corruption and rottedness of the excrement, and these entering into the bowels of him, his body is consumed. When the man is manifestly dead, the uppermost boat being taken off, they, they find his flesh devoured, and swarms of such noisome creatures preying upon, and as if it were growing to. His inwards. In this way, Mithridates, after suffering for seventeen days, at last expired. This sounds horrendous. I am not a fan of this. This is not okay. This is a big no for me. Big no for everybody. I mean, I am a very visual person, and I imagined all of that in my head. Shame. That's that is just the worst. And you can't even do anything. You can't move. Oh no! Seventeen days. That is cruel, my guy. Like that is some cruel stuff right there. I I do not like that. Anyway, I'm gonna move on from that one. Last on my list, I have got Franz Reichelt, who died falling from the Eiffel Tower. So this is, as I said, the last one. So it it really is tragic. Shame. It was also completely preventable, which makes it even more unfortunate. France was a tailor in France. Ha! Ah, I didn't even realize that. <laughs> wow. All he wanted to do was make a wearable parachute. France was born in Austria, and he moved to Paris in 1898. He opened a successful dressmaking business in the center of the city, but all he wanted to do was make that parachute suit. He wanted to make a light weight suit that would open up as a person fell, kind of like the cool wingsuits that we have today, but this was like a very long time ago and technology was not great. He tested early variations of his design on dummies, throwing them from the fifth story, and apparently had success with one of them landing gently. However, he was not able to get another to land gently. After that, he sent in his designs to an aviation magazine and they said to him, quote, the surface of your design is too weak. You will break your neck. Unquote. I think at this point he was like, I'm going to show you, and started testing the suits himself. At one point, he jumped from a window that was 26 feet, plus minus 8 meters, high, and he broke his leg. So now, in my opinion, this is where I would say to myself, you know what? There appears to be a flaw in my plan somewhere. I should probably regroup. You figure it out try again differently without me with more dummies but no 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 not france he carried on stating that the reason his suit wasn't working was because the drop distance was too short and the flaps could not properly properly deploy he decided that the first platform of the eiffel tower would be perfect however he was told no eventually he was given permission to test the suit from the eiffel tower as long as he used a mannequin or dummy and it was not he himself going over the edge. He was like, okay, yes, I shall test it on a dummy. He didn't, he wasn't planning on testing it on a dummy, ever. So on the 4th of February in 1912, at 8 a.m. in the freezing cold temperatures, France arrived at the Eiffel Tower and he showed off his suit, which he was wearing. There was a bunch of press there. He like really made this thing a big deal. So he was peacocking it around for everyone. There's tons of photos, tons of video footage online. 
Suspiciously, though, he didn't have any dummy or mannequin with him. At this point, they should have been like, France, where's the dummy? This is a big fat no from us, but you know, cops none, they just don't care. <laughs> he climbed to the first platform, which is about 190 feet or 56 meters high, and there is footage that can be found online, it is very disturbing, where he hesitates for about 40 seconds. Like he's just standing there. You can sort of see him getting ready. So there's there's camera footage from the top, camera footage from the bottom. And he like sways and then eventually after 40 seconds he jumps. And there is footage from the bottom where you can see him plummet into the floor, dying instantly. It was studied after the fact that the material would not have worked either way, as well as the shape in which he had cut the flaps. But in hindsight, it's 2020, right? He was a mad inventor and he died doing something that he was passionate about. But it still could have been prevented if he had just used a dummy. Anyway, guys, that is it. Ten bizarre and unfortunate deaths, deaths that I found for you. Let me know what you think. If you would like more episodes like this, please let me know. And please leave a review on my website or on Apple Podcasts, wherever. I know you can't do it on Spotify, but anywhere else. Follow me on my social media pages. On Instagram, it is at cupoftaboo underscore podcast. Facebook is cupoftaboo. Gmail is cupoftaboo at gmail.com. And I'm going to make a TikTok like a youth. And it's going to be at cupoftaboo. Well, I mean, I made the TikTok, but now I have to actually make the TikToks. Uh-huh. I just still need to figure out what I'm going to put in them because I have no idea. Anyway, guys, I hope that you keep it real and I will chat to you all later. Okay, bye. Bye. Ciao.